The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome everyone here in the room and welcome everybody tuning in online. Welcome in the name of Jesus. And if you are a visitor here this morning, we always try to make a point of welcoming you and extending our deepest gratitude that you've chosen to be with us. And so we're just grateful that you're here. I hope you'll get a chance to talk to some people around you. I hope you've already been greeted. Uh, if you want to fill out a visitor card, we have some in the lobby, or you can scan the QR code in the Sunday sheet you should have gotten. But we'd love a chance to connect with you uh, here at the Springs. We're a church being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. So we're honored by your presence this morning. And I want to invite you to a few things next weekend. Um, the first thing is just part two of the Bible class that we had this morning, Gazing at Golgotha. That happens 9.30 a.m. Uh, we do adult Bible class. And so if you want to be here in the room uh, next week or tune in online, we'll do part two of that two-part class, looking at the cross of Jesus from uh, several different angles together. So I hope you'll join us for that. And actually, on the Saturday right before that day, um, we will have a prayer walk at 9 a.m. for, yes, the back-to-school carnival. So there's the prayer walk that's this coming Saturday at 9 a.m., but then the real marquee event is Sunday evening, August 21st, 5 to 7, our annual back-to-school carnival. All the greatest hits are back. We've got the funnel cakes. we got the dunk tank, the cakewalk, the... Ice cream, is there ice cream? There's at least snow cones, I know. But uh, please come on out. It's gonna be fantastic. It was a great time last year. Um, and also, please volunteer. Uh, if you wanna take out your smartphone and scan that QR code, you can sign up to volunteer. We need some more baked goods for the cakewalk, so please provide. Uh, but mostly, invite your friends, come one, come all. Talk to Kendall Fike if you don't know how to scan a QR code and she'll get you plugged in. Uh, but I hope you will be here next Sunday evening for our back-to-school carnival celebration. All that said, we are in the second week of our sermon series, The Word of the Lord, this morning. So let's jump in to Luke chapter 12 together, verses 49 through 56. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. 
You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we receive these words with gratitude. We receive these words with hope and anticipation that you might use your words by the power of your spirit to shape us, to form us, to speak truth to us, to lead us into your everlasting love. We give thanks for your living word, Jesus Christ. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Could Jesus preach at the Springs? I've been asking myself that question for a little while, and especially after we have a fantastic summer guest sermon series, June and July, we had some great speakers from within and without our congregation come and bless us. But especially when I encounter some crazy red letters in the New Testament, in the Gospels, I ask myself the question over and over again, could Jesus guest preach here? If you came up to me and played a one-minute YouTube clip of Jesus preaching these words, and we're like, Brett, you gotta get this guy here next summer. Ben, you gotta get this guy at the Springs next summer. How would I respond? I might be like, eh, is that really our style? I don't know, it seems kind of harsh. Right? We want a Jesus that is safe enough to invite to our dinner parties and the Jesus of the Gospels just simply refuses to be boxed in like that. We want a Jesus who's safe enough to invite to guest preach so we can have our friends come on a Sunday morning and not feel awkward, but Jesus just refuses to be boxed in like that. This isn't a warm and fuzzy passage, per se. This isn't a polite passage. Ironically, this probably is your grandma's Jesus. But it's Jesus with some hard words. So I'm wondering this morning if we have the words to, if we have the ears to hear these words this morning. Do we have the, as Ben would say, the hearts to follow and the the minds and bodies to obey? Even to be chastened and challenged and redeemed by the word of God, even if it's a bit impolite. Well, let's jump back into our text. Let's ask the spirit to open our ears and find out. In verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. We talk about uh, living in our brainstem or the amygdala, you know, the fight, fight or flight response. Jesus is living in some distress right here. He's speaking from a place of distress. Jesus knows your trauma because Jesus lived a life under the shadow of an impending cross. And here he says, I came to cast fire on the earth. But what kind of fire are we talking about here? Like, is Jesus in the business of just torching his enemies? Or is there something more to this fire? 
Is Jesus bringing a fire that, that purifies and refines? Well, I don't think he's in the business of torching his enemies. I mean, he says some, some wrathful things from time to time, but a few chapters before this, the disciples are going to a Samaritan village. And remember, Samaritans and Jews, they're sworn enemies. And they go in, and sure enough, they're inhospitable to the disciples. They're inhospitable to Jesus. And so James and John in Luke 9, it says, when they saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Talk about fire and brimstone preachers. James and John, Jesus' bouncers, hitmen, you know, literally want to go Old Testament prophet Elijah on these Samaritans, call down fire, and Jesus says, uh-uh. No. Jesus' fire is not petty and vindictive. Jesus' fire is not petty, it's purifying. The fire of Jesus is the fire that purifies. Think of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. We're bouncing a lot in, around a lot in Luke this morning. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus is bringing the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing refiner's fire of Malachi chapter three. Remember Malachi says, for he is like a refiner's fire and like washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. This is Jesus' Holy Spirit fire. It's the fire that he came to cast on the earth, the fire that he brought to purify and purge and renew, right? A fire that Jesus brings to create the conditions for new life, new growth, and new creation. I, I took this photograph in Yellowstone National Park last week. Laura and I uh, trekked up there with the kids, and if you think I'm crazy for taking three kids under six all the way to Yellowstone, you're right. And you might also be my wife. And I think if you will like tell me that face to face, she might actually buy you lunch after service this morning. But it was a great trip on the whole, and we saw some wonderful sights, and this was a strange sight that we saw. There's this west thumb portion of Lake Yellowstone, and this was on the north side driving by, and you noticed right away the, the trees just decimated, and I did a little digging, and this happened in the 2009 Arnica fire. It just totally wiped out these trees, but then you look a little closer and you see the undergrowth, right? You see these, these beautiful little lodgepole pines, they're called, sprouting up. And these little, little trees underneath are about 12 years old. They're also the result of the Arnica fire. Because as ecologists, you've probably heard them say, 
Fires are not all bad, actually, in nature. They're necessary for the rebirth and renewal of the forest. They're necessary for the life cycle of the forest and releasing nutrients. So fires can and do burn and singe and destroy, but the same fire that burns is the fire that renews, the fire that refines. Jesus came to bring fire and he's gonna undergo a baptism that he talks about, this baptism of the cross. And Jesus is bringing that fire through the wood of the cross, right? Jesus on the cross is about to start a fire. With the wood of the cross, he's about to start a fire that readies the world for rebirth. He's about to start a fire with the wood of the cross that destroys the lowercase g gods of paganism. He's about to start a fire with the wood of the cross that ignites a revolution of love that seeks to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But it won't all be heavenly right away. When the fire of God's love encounters our broken, rebellious world, the immediate result is not always peace. Sometimes it's separation. And that's where Jesus goes in verse 51. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather, division. This is one of those quotations that we would never believe was actually uttered by Jesus, right? Like if you encountered this in a multiple choice quiz and you had to identify the quote and three of the options were history's most tyrannical dictators and the fourth option was Jesus, that's the last option you're choosing. You would never say, oh yeah, Jesus. But he did. And because Jesus said it, we're puzzled by it, right? And we're, we're puzzled because of some of the caricatures that we absorb from popular culture about Jesus, right? The Jesus that we do try to box in. And we all try to make Jesus in our own image, try to make him in a way that conforms to who we are and our tastes. But not only are we puzzled because of who we wrongly imagine Jesus to be, we're also puzzled because of who we rightly know Jesus is. Like, this is Luke's gospel, and, and Luke's gospel is the one that really portrays Jesus' emphasis on peace maybe more than any other. Jesus does come to, to heal and to reconcile and deliver and bring peace. Remember when Jesus is born in Luke's gospel and the shepherds are watching over their flocks by night and a heavenly host fills the atmosphere and begins singing glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's not like the sky is filled with demons who say on earth discord, strife, and hatred, right? They bring peace. They announce and herald the peace of God. The risen Jesus in Luke's gospel in chapter 24, when he finally appears to the apostles, his very first words, peace be with you. Jesus in Luke, from beginning to end, is pervaded by peace. 
It's pervaded by peace. But Jesus says, I'm gonna bring division. I'm gonna bring strife. Jesus is saying the tranquility of the status quo is being upended. Jesus means no more business as usual, right? Jesus is setting the status quo on fire. And those of us who are big fans of the status quo find that a little scary. And it gets worse before it gets better, folks. In verses 52 and 53, Jesus says, For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I still vividly remember sitting on a chair in my living room across from my sister, who was also on a chair, staring in each other's faces. And we weren't sitting on comfortable living room chairs. My dad had pulled two wooden kitchen table chairs to the center of the living room and sat them like three feet apart and forced us to sit across from each other because... We were fighting, which for some siblings is akin to breathing. Not, not for my sister and I, but then we were fighting. And all I really remember is my dad giving a speech about me being her only brother, her being my only sister, we're all we have, we gotta stick together, and she and I very quickly kind of devolving into laughter at this kind of hilarious scenario. And we laughed our way back to familial harmony, which is what all of us really deeply desire, isn't it? Family strife, discord is some of the hardest stuff to deal with as a human. We want that familial harmony, and if you think we value family, which we do here in 2022, United States of America, imagine Jesus' day. Family was the, perhaps the cultural pillar of that society. It's not even a contest between our day and first century Palestine. Family is where you get your identity, your worth, your kinship relationships are everything. So it sounds hard to our ears. Imagine it in the first context it was spoken. It's very challenging. And it, It's hard for us to hear these words, I think in part because of the baggage that we now attach to them. Not Jesus' baggage, but the baggage of his followers, like us. Right? Jesus divides people by being crucified. But Jesus' worst followers through history have often divided people by crucifying them. Jesus divides people by offering himself in self-sacrificial love, but Jesus' worst followers through history have divided people by sacrificing those people. So it's, it's harder for us to hear these words for that reason. But I think there's an important distinction that can help us. I think there's a distinction that can help here, and I think it's that Jesus is being descriptive, not prescriptive. Jesus is describing a reality. He's not 
prescribing behavior for us. Do you see the difference between that? Right? Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to encounter strife and division and discord if you choose to follow me. Right? That's just the way it is in this world as it sinfully is right now. But he's not saying go therefore into all nations and cause division, hatred, and strife. Right? He's saying that's going to be the reality at times. When you follow me, I came to cast fire. And that fire is going to burn at times. And at times there will be division because of it. It's like at the end of, of Luke chapter 6 when he says, Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Right? He's, he's describing, hey, if you follow me, you're probably not going to be spoken well of all that often. If you are, you're probably not following me very well. But then he goes on to prescribe behavior. Then he says, our response, I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. The gospel doesn't always bring kumbaya around the campfire. But its ultimate aim is at peace. And our response to division, our response to strife, are Jesus' words right here. Our response to those divided from us are enemy love. If you've gotten to hear my in-laws teach or preach a little bit at all about their experience as missionaries in a, in a Muslim context, you'll know that Jesus' words in chapter 12 have a kind of uncomplicated, they make a kind of uncomplicated sense there. These are people that they're proclaiming the gospel to who legitimately, it may divide them. Father against son, mother against daughter. These are people who have counted the cost, right? For them, becoming a Christian doesn't just mean coming into this room to drink coffee at 10.30 every Sunday, right? These are people who the gospel really can bring division and strife in their lives. And so we ask ourselves this morning, why choose Jesus? Why do we choose Jesus? Why do we choose something that brings the possibility of division and strife? Why do we choose someone that, that brings the possibility of this kind of division? First of all, I think it's because Jesus has chosen us. But I think we choose Jesus because choosing Jesus, even when it might mean division, means choosing to hope in the one who actually holds all things together. Choosing Jesus and the possibility of division in the here now is choosing the possibility, the very possibility of reconciliation itself. 
right? Choosing Jesus and the possibility of father being divided from son is something we do because this is the same Jesus who tells God's love in the story of a father and a son. The prodigal son who shames his father and runs off. And yet when he comes back, the father opening, running, receiving, restoring. The Jesus whose fiery message can cause division and strife in this moment is on a trajectory to ultimate peace. This is the Jesus that Paul says himself is our peace in Ephesians, who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is about taking sledgehammers to dividing walls. And Paul says in Colossians that he himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. We stake our lives on Jesus because Jesus is the highest priority we can have. Jesus is the highest priority because Jesus is prior to all things. And in that eternal Godhead is infinite loving peace. It's the source of every contingent peace we have here on earth. And to choose Jesus, even if it might mean that we're ostracized, even if it might mean strife, even if it might mean pain or turmoil, is to choose an ultimate hope in his eternal peace. Is to choose the possibility, the openness to reconciliation with the very people we may be divided from. To choose Jesus is to choose the firstborn from the dead, the one who, in whom God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Stanley Hauerwas says that he demands that we follow him because he alone has the right to ask for our lives. Are there lesser priorities that the fire of Jesus needs to burn away in our lives? Are there lesser commitments that need to be reordered underneath the lordship of the Jesus who gave all of himself to make peace through the blood of his cross? church. Jesus has chosen us. Let us choose to follow him through every cross shadow that we walk all the way to his eternal peace that only he can bring. Let's stand and praise the God of all peace.